If you have your Bibles with you this morning, please open them up to Matthew. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I will be reading from the King James Version. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Brother Wesley doesn't need an introduction for us here at White Oak, but I do wanted, I did want him to know and, and Kay how much we appreciated them coming and being with us this week. We appreciate the uh, students that came out and helped us with our door knocking campaign. And we probably knocked, uh, I haven't looked at all the numbers yet, eight or nine hundred houses. And so we really, from uh, uh, just a little bit south of the building, northward uh all the way over to i believe probably 27 and uh forward we covered a huge area a huge area and we're thankful to everyone that came out and helped us knock we're thankful to all those who came and and helped uh, uh provide the the meals for us and those who provided the meals we're thankful for you but we're so glad that Brother Wesley could be with us, and he didn't know if he was going to be able to stay and preach this morning, but he was able to get Brother Jeff Johnson to fill in for him at Stony Creek, and so he was able to stay with us. And we're thankful to Brother Wesley and to Kay and for all they mean to this congregation here, and they're always welcome to come and be with us. But we're, we're uh, looking forward to the message. Brother, come speak to us. Thank you, Rick. Now, this announcement is for Ethan Tate, one of our students. He knows what I would do to him and the other students if they stood before an audience like this without a dress shirt and a tie. But I forgot my dress shirt. So I'm sorry about that. I'm not trying to teach, hey, let's dress down, because we certainly don't want to do that. Hey, to all of you who are visiting, thank you much for coming and being with us here at White Oak. Stick around a little bit and let us get to know you. I want to especially notice Ronnie and Carolyn Levi. Ronnie probably won't admit this, but I think we're a little bit kin, Ronnie. Well, he's admitting it. And it's good to have them, Levada Sizemore, all of you. Thank you so much for coming and being with us. And I too want to thank all of you for all you did in making the door knocking campaign the success that it was. Those who brought food, those who knocked doors, printed the advertisements, whatever you did, thank you so very much. Thanks for helping to train gospel preachers for all you do to help us we certainly appreciate that. Why the campaign? If hell is as bad as it is, and it is, then we need to prepare ourselves, number one, and warn everybody else, number two. And so we're, we went out into the community to tell people you need to think about eternity. Do you have any questions 
about God. I'd ask them, don't you have a question about God? Heaven? Hell? Your soul? I'd try to get them to think where they would talk to me. And so you and I need to be thinking about that. The sad part about it is the majority of people are going to go to hell. The Word of God says so. Now what you got to do, what i got to do, is make sure that we're not one of those that go to hell. I tell people where I preach, if there's not but one person that goes to heaven, you make sure it's you. And if everybody upon the face of the earth would do that, then we'd all get to go to heaven. Here are the verses that were read a moment ago. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And watch the word. Many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. Just a few. If you'd have knocked my door, and I would not have been a member of the body of Christ, I might have asked a question like this. Is your God all-knowing? Yes. Did He know before He ever created that just a few would make it? Yes. Then why did He create anyway? Now you think about that. You know why He did? He's sorry people will abuse their free moral agency, but He's not going to punish good people like you that will do that which is right. He's that great a God So then as we think about hell and how bad it is, does God love mankind enough to try to stop us from going there? Surely He does. And so today I'm going to share with you a few things that God Almighty has done to keep you out of hell. To keep me out of hell. Notice if you will Luke 16, 19 through 22. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried uh, carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. I want you to notice, here's a man, a very poor man, can't feed himself, his body full of sores, they lay him at the rich man's gate, hoping to be fed with the crumbs that fall from his table, the dogs come and lick his sores, he finally dies. He's carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. It doesn't even say the man was buried. He probably wasn't. He didn't have anything. Throw him out at the garbage dump. Oh, but the rich man. He died. Can you imagine the funeral service that he probably had? And how people bragged on him? But now look at verse 23 beginning. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. 
Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Now, who would you want it to have been on earth? The rich man or Lazarus? Lazarus, the poor man, the beggar, did not go to heaven because he was a beggar. He went to heaven because he obeyed God. The rich man did not go to hell because he is rich. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. Solomon was rich. A lot of people that served God were rich. But this man did not serve God. And he lifted up his eyes being in torments. Now I want you to notice something, brethren. Here's a man that's thinking with his mind. Not his brain. He doesn't have a brain. That body was buried. The real you is the soul within you. And here is that soul talking to Abraham about his destiny and you're going to see he wants to be a door knocker. So to speak, a personal worker. But it's too late. Notice if you will. And beside all this, between us and you there's a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would ascend him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Will you send Lazarus to knock on the door? Will you send him back to talk to my five brethren. Let me tell you something brethren. Hell is so bad. That if you go there. You wouldn't want your worst enemy to join you. And this man knows that. And he knows he's got five brethren. Not living right. And he wants them warned. If you're going to warn your children. Your mother. Your father your neighbor, your fellow employee, you've got to do it now. And if you don't, then they'll wind up lost if they're not living right. Now watch Abraham's response. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. I know that's true. I know one that rose from the dead and been trying to persuade people. Jesus Christ. Begging people, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And people will not listen. Now I want you to notice, if you will, that Abraham is making the argument that God Almighty put the Bible between you and me 
and going to hell. That's how great the Bible is. Notice what he said. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. If I cannot convince you to read your Bible and do what the Bible says, if God can't convince you of that, if God can't convince me of that, then I'm going to wind up lost. I've got to listen to what the Word of God says. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Can you not see the power that's in God's word to keep you out of hell, keep me out of hell? So God says, I love you enough. I'm going to give you a road map from here to eternity. And I'm going to keep you out of hell. I'm going to give you the Bible. Then I want you to notice he put parents between all of us and going to hell. I'm a Christian today to a large degree because a little baby girl was born to Elva and me. And when that little baby girl was born, Karen, I told Elva, Elva, God has given us this little baby, innocent, pure as she can be, and it's your job and mine to give her back to God the same way. So you and I have got to get serious about God and doing right. And we started our journey looking for truth and found it. It is said that the Lord's church is losing her young people. That's a false statement. The home, the mother and father, they are the ones that's losing our young people because they're not doing what the Word of God says. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he'll not depart from it. How long has it been since you've had a Bible study with your children? How long has it been since you've tried to ground them in the truth of the one church, the true plan of salvation, and the way to worship God? We got too many members of the body of Christ that will take Junior on Wednesday night to the ballpark and make sure he doesn't miss the ball game. And then when Junior grows up, they can't figure out why Junior's not faithful. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. The first time we ever entered a meeting house of the Church of Christ was to obey the gospel of Christ, and it was right here at White Oak. Going home, Elva asked me a question that we settled once and for all and forever. Wesley, where or how many times are we going to go to services? And I looked at her and told her, every time the doors are open. We never discussed it after that. Never. And the children knew that. And they knew they were going to have to listen to mom and dad teach them the Bible. My little granddaughter used to come down and I'd be busy getting up a sermon or whatever. And before she'd go to bed, she'd say, Papa, 
Will you read me a Bible story? I don't care how busy I was, I stopped. Sure I will, Brandy. And I read her a Bible story. Because there was a fear in my heart that one day she wouldn't ask me to read her a Bible story. And I didn't want to pass up the opportunity to do it when I could. She's a faithful child of God today, just like the girls. Look at Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Oh, I've done a lot of marriage counseling, more than I'd ever, ever want to admit. And I've had men say this, Tell her, Wesley, I'm the head of the house. Read that scripture. Boy, they know about that scripture. Then I read them this one. The first place, fathers, you're to be, the head of the home is spiritually. And make sure you direct your home the way God wants it directed. God put a conscience between me and going to hell. Isn't that wonderful? Now, i got the cutest elf, and I, I mean, Kay and I have got the cutest little dog about yay high. And when I was here the first time, Ron Payne gave me a very nice pair of expensive shoes. Now, if she would have seen those shoes before Ron gave them to me, she might have stole them and chewed them up. It would have never have bothered her. But if I would have seen those shoes and thought, Ron don't need those, and I would have stole them, it would have bothered me. God gave me a conscience to help keep me out of hell. So it would bug me. Watch the function of the conscience, according to Romans 2.15, which showed the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. Now watch this. And their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. My conscience is to accuse or excuse. And lie detectors show that you and I respond differently when asked a question and we know we're lying. It shows up. Because it bothers you. you got a conscience. Well, God gave you that to keep you out of hell. God's love ought to keep you out of hell, ought to keep me out of hell. When God chose to create man, He didn't create him just anyway. He created him after the image of God Himself. Think about how special you are. You are so special From the time that you were conceived in your mother's womb, there'll never come a time when you will cease to exist. You're that much like God. Boy, you think about that. A trillion years from now, as we count time, all of us are going to be somewhere. Either happier than we've ever been, or in more pain and misery than we've ever known. All of us are going to be somewhere. When God chose to put man on earth, he didn't put him just anywhere. He put him in the most beautiful garden that you and I could imagine. When he decided that he wanted a family, he didn't put a family just anywhere. He created his church, his kingdom. 
And when he decided, when it was all over, he didn't want us to go just anywhere. He wanted us to come home and be with him. Now you think about how much God loved us. Well, what should that do for us? Watch this verse. In Romans 2, 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? Now watch it. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. God's been so good to me. The verse is arguing, I ought to want to repent. I ought to want to serve him. Every person upon the face of the earth should hold that view. And anyone who does not hold that view holds the wrong view. Jesus' love should cause you and me to realize God is trying to keep us out of hell. Think about someone who loved us enough. He gave his son for us to keep you out of hell, to keep me out of hell. Notice what the Bible says. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ didn't die for good people. He died for sinners. He died for you. He died for me. Why in the world did he die for sinners? As a blockade to hell. To keep you from going there, to keep me from going there. Look at what the Bible says in John 15, 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You've never had a better friend than Jesus Christ. He stands between you and going to hell. When you read Romans 12, 1 and 2, He endured the cross for the joy that was set before Him. Why, there's no joy in dying on that cross. The joy was what He knew He was doing for you and me. How He is keeping us out of hell. He put elders, God did, between you and me and going to hell. Think about a God so brilliant that he realizes when he's got a local congregation somewhere, someone ought to be watching for the souls and make sure that people don't just fall through the crack and wind up lost. Watch this. In Hebrews 13, 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Oh, the brilliance of God. To have men watching for the souls of individuals in a congregation. I'm an elder at Stony Creek. I was an elder at Crandall. And I'm here to tell you, only God knows the miles I have driven, the cars I have bunged up, wore out, chasing unfaithful members of the body of Christ. But you know what? We visit every Tuesday. And if there are those that are unfaithful, we make it a point to try to go and see what we can do to restore them. And we believe what the Word of God says. we got to love them. Even to the point, if they will not repent after working with them, we withdraw fellowship from them to warn them, God loves you, and if you're not in fellowship with Him now, you're not going to be in fellowship with Him in all eternity. You see, that's an act of love. 
And we've sold the congregation at Stony Creek on the fact it's an act of love. And they know if they become unfaithful, what we're going to do. We're going to go looking for them. We're going to try to restore them. And if we can't, then lo and behold, we're going to do what God told us to do. God put the church between you and me and going to hell. What if I'm a member here at White Oak and I become unfaithful? Well, notice what the Bible says. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, somebody here at White Oak, ye which are spiritual, that's you, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. God, what are you saying? God says, I've set this thing up where I'm not going to let a member of the church fall through the cracks, be missing for two or three years, and nobody even know what happened to him. No, God says, I want you to work on him. I want you to go rescue him. I want you to help keep him out of hell. I want you to love him that much. Think about the brilliance of God in all of this. But then, I want you to notice, it's a church's responsibility to try to go out in the community like we did this week and try to warn people, hey, you need to think about eternity. You got any questions about eternity, about your soul, about God? So that hopefully we can provoke them to think and keep them out of hell. Notice what the Bible says. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. It is your privilege. It is my privilege to talk to people about their soul. You think about that. What a joy to think that the God of heaven trusts you enough, trusts me enough to do his work here upon the face of the earth. Boy, that's an awesome thought. Has he misplaced his trust? Has he? If I'm not doing it, then maybe he's misplaced his trust, at least in me. So we need to be doing our job. You know what God's attitude is? If I tell people how beautiful heaven is, they'll want to come. And that will become a blockade between the precious souls on earth and going to hell. So I'll just tell them how beautiful heaven really is. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. Boy, you think about that. Heaven is a place of no mores. No more crying. No more tears. No more heartache. No more sorrow. No more funeral homes. No more hospitals. No more drug stores. No more prisons. No more jails. No more sickness. Sometimes when a very faithful member of the Lord's church dies, I say to their loved ones, he just got well. You think about that. I don't care what's wrong with you. If you're faithful and you love God and you're putting Him first, 
when you take that last breath, you just got well. You ever seen someone lived a very wicked, ungodly life and suffered and died and then someone walk up to the casket and say, oh, they're better off now. Oh, no. They're in worse pain than they've ever been in. You and I don't want to die that way. Then he gave us a description of hell. God's attitude is if I tell them how bad hell is, they'll want to miss it. Why, if you ask me about a vacation spot where Kay and I went and it was just torment, and I tell you how bad it is and all the roaches in the rooms and spiders and everything, you wouldn't want to go. Well, what about hell? God, what's it like? The rich man also died, was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And that's just the Hadean realm of it. How would you like to be in torment for trillions and trillions and trillions of years? If you're so unfortunate as to go to hell, when you step in there, if you look back on the door, it would say, in essence, no hope forever. No hope forever. You don't want to go there. Then watch this. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I can't think of a way to die that would be any worse than to burn up conscious, alive. I know of a case where a Volkswagen was involved in a car wreck and the guy was trapped and the Volkswagen was on fire. A state trooper just happened to be close and got to the wreck immediately and the man screaming from the Volkswagen, shoot me, shoot me. And, of course, the state trooper couldn't do it. In Stony Creek, a wreck occurred with young men in it. The car actually hit a pole and wound up in the creek. It was on fire. They were trapped. Several people standing around as they begged, teenagers, beg, get me out, please help, and they burned alive. Can you imagine being in that kind of torment forever and ever. And then notice this. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't care how brave you think you are. When it is pitch dark. And there's a bump in the night. You're a little bit leery of what that might have been. You ever been to the lost sea and let them cut the lights out on you? And I took my hand and I did this. And I couldn't see it. Let me tell you something. How would you like to be in that for all eternity? That's hell. Hell's a place where you can pray all the prayers you want to pray. And not a one of them will be answered. So you don't want to go there. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers... How shall you escape the damnation of hell? Hell is a place where there's going to be souls that were damned by God Almighty because of their ungodly living. You don't want to be in that number. 
So I want you to notice the company that's going to be there. But the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Would you like to live in a neighborhood with a bunch of druggies, murderers, fornicators, members of the mafia? That's who's going to be in hell. You don't want to be there, and the old devil himself is going to be there. He's doomed, and he wants you to go. So, God is saying hell is so bad, and I love souls so much, I'm putting various blockades between every soul and going to hell. The Bible, parents, conscience, God's love, the love of the Christ, elders, the church, a description of heaven, how beautiful it is, a description of hell and how terrible it is, and every bit of this amounts to God's amazing grace. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. God's trying to keep you out of hell. He's trying to keep me out of hell. He's done his part. Are you willing to do yours? Hell is for real. You don't hear much preaching on hell anymore. Hell's kind of gone out of date, out of style, but hell's real. It's a Bible subject. We need to preach on it. Now I want you to notice God's done his part trying to keep you and me out of hell. Satan's doing his part trying to get you to go to hell. So the question is, will you do your part? Obey God before it's too late. See, God's got a simple plan of salvation to keep you out of hell. I want to show you something, and I can't imagine this being true, but it was true. You saw it. On September the 11th, two 747s flew into the Twin Towers. Some of those people that were above where the plane hit couldn't get out of the building. They stood... 90 stories high, and they looked down. Heat blistering their back. And they reached the conclusion it would be better to jump than to stay in that building. That's how bad the heat was. They were like you and me. They got up that morning, took a shower, brushed their teeth, put on their clothes, and they went to work. They never knew they'd have to make that kind of decision. You watched on the news as quite a few of them jumped. As they jumped, oh, they got some relief from that heat that was blistering their back. But just for a little while, when they hit the ground, if they were not faithful children of God, the heat they experienced from the Twin Towers was nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now God's done everything He can to keep you out of hell. Are you going to do your part? The Bible says you've got to hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized for the remission of your sins in order to be saved. We're not going to ask you to come to the morning's bench. That's not biblical. We're not going to ask you to pray the sinner's prayer. That's not biblical. 
People were saved this way in the Bible. We're going to ask you to be saved God's way. And if you'll be saved God's way, He will add you to His church, His family, His kingdom, His army, His vineyard, His bride, His body. Isn't that beautiful? It's God's plan. Now, if you've not obeyed this, now's the time. If you've obeyed, you're unfaithful. What are you going to do to keep yourself out of hell? Will you repent? Will you come back home as together we stand and sing?